The Once and Future Nerd is independently produced. If you're enjoying the show and would like to support us, visit onceandfuturenerd.com support to find out how you can help. Listening to this show on an iOS device? Leave us a rating on iTunes, please. The Once and Future Nerd Book One, Princes of Jordan Chapter 7, The Last Douchey Domicile Episode 4 Jen sat alone by a small pool in the white forest, dipping her toes in the water and listening to the peaceful sound of the waterfall. Coming off and... Ah! Jesus Christ, we get it, okay? You move quietly. Regan had, obviously, interrupted Jen's peace. I don't know who you've been hanging out with who told you that shit was okay, but it scares the crap out of normal people. No need to be scared. I'm unarmed. Jen raised an eyebrow at the rogue. I'm only lightly armed. May I? Do I really have a choice? I'm making an effort here. Okay, fair enough. Sorry. Regan dropped to her haunches next to Jen. For a moment, the two watched the water in silence. I think we, uh... What's the expression? Got off on the wrong foot. (laughs) What? Did I say it wrong? No, it was right. It's just... You've got a prodigious talent for understatement. The silence returned. Maybe the setting contributed, waterfall and all, but it was an oddly peaceful, companionable silence. Kind of like the spot. It's not bad. You can hear yourself think. And elves can't hear you talk, even better. So, um, what's up? Up? Why'd you come here? I followed you. Not creepy at all. I think maybe I might want your advice. Advice? You want my advice? I said maybe. What is that? See, this is your problem. You talk in little, like, riddles or something. I don't do riddles. Not riddles, but, like, you do this thing where you're the only one who knows what you mean. Maybe that's the point. I know it's the point. I'm not stupid. But you can't ask someone for advice and then have a conversation just with yourself. Queen Regan actually smirked. You know... Like a week ago, you never would have had the guts to tell me the terms of our conversation. You know how people try to get you to do something by saying, what's the worst that can happen? Yesterday, I felt myself asphyxiate to death. That's it. That is the worst that can happen. Everything seems a lot less scary now. I'm more scared of not doing anything. The worst thing I've seen happen to somebody? You know what? Don't need to know. I won't lie. I am glad you survived. Gee, thanks. My point is don't go thinking it means you know shit now, though. You don't. You know, I'm pretty tired of people treating me like that. Prove them wrong. Shouldn't have to. And I should be municipal cunt-kiss inspector for free wine city, but here we are. What did you want to talk about? Eh, never mind. Abruptly, Regan stood. Wait, wait, wait. After all that? You don't know anything. You can't help me. What the fuck even are you? Well, I'm not some little girl who doesn't know anything. Hey, screw you, okay? I don't screw kids. Stop that! So you do want me to screw you? Fuck you. Fuck me? Yeah, fuck you! Do you ever shut the fuck up? I'm the fucking queen. You're just a stupid fucking girl. Fuck you, stupid girl. What the fuck do you know? Regan was nearly gone from the clearing when Jen, looking out over the waterfall, 
spoke quietly. I know your cat story was bullshit. A tight smile passed over Regan's face, showing as much pain as gratification. She hid her expression again before returning to the waterside. What was that? The story you told me? Where you were at the orphanage and you had to bury your cat? It wasn't your cat. It was your sister. And what gave you that idea? Your story just never fit together right. You talked about your sister in the beginning, but never said what happened to her. Plus, honestly, I don't know if anyone picks up a sword and starts killing everything because their pet died. A sister, though. Maybe I just really like that cat. When you knighted Brennan, you said your middle name was Margaret. You even used it as your alias with Yellowine's parents. You're Maggie, not the cat. Which would make your sister Katie. I did really have a cat. It really did die. The gods have this great way of teaching you the hardest lessons over and over again. Feel you there. And I really did like that cat. But your sister... Kitty was my soul, I think. Sorry, you didn't kill her. And you just earned a spot in my small council. So, what do I do at this meeting today? Jen, already surprised by Regan's candor, was not prepared for the abrupt change of subject. You mean, do you tell them you're... Shh. Tell them you're the queen? Yeah. What do you think? I think you should do it. Would you? Yes. So we're still horseshitting each other then. I'd want to do it. Whether or not I actually could... I still think you should do it. Why? You can do more good that way. Good? What does that mean? Good for who? Just good. Just regular good. Good for everybody. What's in it for me? That's not why you do good stuff. That's not why you do good stuff. Why should I put my neck on the block? There's a lot of Katie's out there. The more good there is in the world, the more of them get to grow up. It's a nice little thought. But I don't just say I'm queen and then save the world. Even if the elves do back me up, there's a lot of killing between here and the throne. Hasn't stopped you before. Could be me that gets killed. Or you. Or Billy. Since I've been here, it's a rare day anyway when someone isn't trying to murder us with swords. Fun, huh? Oodles. Regan's face again stretched into a crude mockery of a grin, and then she turned once more to leave. Hey. Why me? Brennan's a good man, but he pretty much just does what he's told. I wanted the goody-goody answer, but I wanted to hear the smart version of it. You were testing me before, saying I didn't know anything. Seeing what I do. Lo and behold, my lords and ladies, you grow smarter before our very eyes. Did you think I'd pass? Didn't know for sure. That's why I tested you. Yeah, but, you know, if you were a gambling gal... I think probably I'd have bet on you. Why? I was impressed by your little heist there, where you relieved Jamie McShane of his heartbeat. Jen looked down at the ground, suddenly feeling ill with guilt. That and the, uh, bzz. I'm thinking maybe you're a fighter after all. Not a good one. Yet. But you're a lot stronger than you look. I want to tell you something. About myself. Why? I'm tired of being scared of it. I want to tell someone. Yeah, but... me? Trust me, the irony is not lost on me. But I just realized you're the only person who's ever called me strong. All right. Be quiet before I wuss out. I was 11 when my dad left. That was right around when I got into cheerleading. 
My mom said it was good for me to be friends with the nice girls on the squad and to have adult supervision after school. Mr. McReary was the junior high cheerleading coach. I guess a coach is like, um... Someone the rules said you had to listen to. Yeah, exactly when you put it that way. He used to watch me in the locker room. He'd keep me back after the other girls had left, give me some two-minute cheerleading pointer that I already fucking knew, and then he'd go, great, you can get changed now. Every time, just like that. And he'd stand in the doorway just to make sure I knew I couldn't get around him. He didn't say anything, but I got it. The best part is, the first time it happened, he actually started by talking to me about my dad and whether I was doing okay. Really thought he cared until... Yeah. I think maybe people knew, but at the same time, no one knew. You know how that goes. Shannon kept making these comments to me like how I got all the attention from men. I think she was actually genuinely jealous. Bitch. What did you want to get from telling me that? You never lived in a small town. Everyone gets so judgy. If you, if you try to tell them that something about their tiny little world is totally fucked, it's your fault for rocking the boat. No one ever said it out loud, but there might as well have been a goddamn billboard on the highway. Don't make trouble, little girl. I just wanted to say it outside of that bullshit. You're a lot of things, Maggie. Regan raised an eyebrow at this new address, but permitted it. But you're not the kind to judge a girl for starting trouble. The two looked out over the waterfall. After a moment, Regan turned to Jen, raised a hand, and gave Jen two firm pats on the cheek. This was the most affection Iorana Regan had shown to any person in many, many years. You should get some rest, girly. Might be I'm gonna start some trouble soon. Later that night, a rather drunk Antonin Mooncrest stumbled up the spiral staircase towards his new bride's bedchambers. His journey up the staircase was rather arduous, impeded as he was by the alcohol. He was surprised to see that Arlene Mooncrest, nay Redmore, was not in her chambers. His confusion soon turned to righteous indignation as his mind very quickly constructed a story as to what became of his wife. Adele Redmore, you son of a whore. On a frosted road southwest of Castle Guernatal, a horse-drawn wagon clomped slowly through the night. Its freight was a shipment of food, all stowed in barrels and sacks. Two armed men rode in front and four more escorted it on horseback. They were all of them clad in the simple raiment of the Civic Guard's freehold garrison. None noticed the well-honed knife that cut through one of the sacks from within. As you may have guessed, this was the knife that had belonged to Ricard Redmore until his cousin Arlene took it from him. As the sun rose above the white forest, Brennan, Regan, Nia, and Yellowing found themselves standing in front of the most massive tree any of them, apart from the elf, of course, had ever seen. The trunk itself could have fit one of Billy's football fields, 
The bark of this tree had been replaced entirely with worked silver, carved to depict the great heroes and battles of the elven histories. At precisely the appointed time, the massive doors creaked open slowly. Of course they creaked. Within sat fifteen regal-looking elves, including both of Yiluin's parents. This was the Council of Elders. They were all dressed entirely in gold, not the colour, but actual metal. They bid Brennan begin his tale from the beginning. My lords, imagine if you can what life is like for a rabbit. Sorry, it's a very long story. Let's skip to the interesting part. So, left with no other options, his late majesty sought to flee his own house with my help and that of my arms-bearer, Margaret. In our attempt, we were beset by many arms in the employ of Lord Redmore. It was one of these men who killed King Gunther. Last I had heard, Redmore was trying to lay the blame upon my arms-bearer. The Elven Council, not prone to haste, considered the story. The High Chancellor of the Council, more ancient than any two others in the room combined, sat like a statue, although his eyes were as sharp as a hawk's. Regan, too, surveyed the room with eagle eyes. Every fibre of her well-tempered body tingled, as if she were ready to start a fight with the whole council, or to flee at a moment's notice. Finally, a council member spoke, Yiluin's mother, as it happened. And was the Kaltir to house Gwernatal present for any of these events? For once, the Kaltir lo Gwernatal looked like a small child being admonished by his mother for playing in the mud. I uh, was not, but I can vouch with the utmost confidence for Sir Brennan's character and his loyalty to the king. Unfortunately, this is one of those rare times when loyalty has dangerous potential. Supposing, just for a moment, that his late majesty did, in fact, have plans counter to the laws of men. Is it conceivable that Sir Brennan would deceive to conceal this? Regan opened her mouth as if to retort, but the old general preempted her. I would do anything for His Majesty, but no man triumphs if Ardell Redmore rules. At this, every member of the council turned to the High Chancellor. The old elf remained still as a statue, considering. Finally, his head bowed, barely a fraction of an inch. I think I may speak for the council in saying we are sufficiently dubious of the legality of Redmore's rule. We would endorse any action you take to unseat him. That is most excellent news, Taid. Sadly, as I have said, the better part of my armies has been slain or scattered during Redmore's coup. We had hoped that, given this, along with the encroachment of General Traft into civilized lands, we might humbly plead assistance from the Knights of the Wood. We thought you might. The Council will let the High Commander, Taid Relotit, speak to that. Gratitude to the Council for the floor. You might recall Taid Relotit from Brennan's retelling of the time he met the rebel Traft, 16 years prior. The Commander stood, assessing the poor health of her former colleague, Brennan looked as if he had aged 50 years in the past 16. Rilotit, of course, hadn't even aged a night. Regan marked her very well. 
If I have understood your testimony correctly, it seems House Guernatal was indeed gravely wronged when Lord Redmore assumed regency. Not wronged, Taid. Ruined. But it has never been the charge of the Talohil, nor of any elves, to settle the feuds of men. Brennan tried valiantly to hide the disappointment from his face. Of course, Taid, but as we have said, we think the unlawful destruction of my armies, combined with the threat of draft, creates a... a... Extenuating circumstance. Aye. I'm very sorry about your men, Sir Brennan. I'm certain they were brave fighters who deserved longer lives and more honorable deaths. And we are watching the half-orc carefully. But the concordat is very clear. The Tarlohil will not enforce the inheritance laws of men unless there is a viable line of succession. Regan's muscles tensed, nearly imperceptibly. Her eyes scanned each of the fifteen elves on the council, as if searching for some hint of their thoughts. If you were to make us aware of some person of procreative age with some tenable claim to the High Throne, this would be a different conversation. But until then, this is a feud between houses, and we simply haven't the resources to intervene in every one of those. Brennan, his old soldier's discipline evident, kept his eyes affixed to Commander Rilotit. Nia, however, couldn't help but flick her eyes quickly over to Regan. For herself, Regan's gaze bore into the back of the commander's head. Sir Brennan, do you know of any such person? Fifteen pairs of elvish eyes bore down into the old general's face, which had turned to stone. He was too disciplined to look to his queen, though he was entirely at the mercy of her decision. Irona Margaret Regan studied the room, and her breathing slowed. Now, I've friends who are bush sprites in the northern deserts. They had long told me one of the most magnificent experiences in this world is to behold a stalking lioness as she decides whether the moment is right to pounce. An instant too soon and she will be spotted and evaded. An instant too late and the opportunity will elude her. The instincts required to make such a decision are a marvellous, perfect creation of nature. I knew then the awful beauty of which my friends spoke. Regan had reached her decision. She drew a deep breath to speak. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. New episodes are released every other Sunday. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira, and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. It is performed by... Rhiannon Angel. Garrett Arman. Dan Dobransky. Lily Drexler. Anya Gibeon. Ian Harkins. Paul Notice, Frank Quares, Julie Reed, Gregory M. Schultz. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly. Alex Story is an associate producer. The Once and Future Nerd is recorded by Brian Forbes at the Gallery Recording Studio in Brooklyn, New York, with additional audio engineering by Sam Palumbo. 
Foley, sound design and mixing is done by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Additional music by Christopher Montalbo. Thanks for downloading.